Hello, guys. Let me stop you right there. (laughs) What? Before you go into some, you know, welcome to Top 20 podcast, and uh, we were on Sky Sports News this morning and all this stuff, uh, I think it's very important that we start the podcast with just a chat about EFL on Quest, because you haven't even mentioned it in the running order or to me pre. So I wanted to say, I mean, I feel like I'm now doing a podcast with the equivalent of like Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrence in a match of the day now. Um, and I'm very, very overwhelmed sitting next to you. That I'm not going to be able to perform as I usually do because you're such a star. Um, but give us a little run through of the day. Alan, did you say Alan Hansen? Yeah. Absolutely sensational. Sensational. <laughs> sensational day, sensational player, sensational pundit. Um, EFL and Quest, uh, um, yes, uh, was on that on Saturday night and enjoyed it immensely. Alongside Colin Murray, not Dean Ashton, who's... No. That's what I teased, I isn't know. it? Um, and if I'm honest... That's what I'd been told. Dean was on the midweek show. Uh, Michael Brown was alongside me. Now, Michael Brown looks like... He looks like he could be my brother in a completely ultimate, alternate universe. Do I have to worry about you and Michael Brown? Mm, I don't think he was that keen on me, so... He was keen on me when I met him. I remember complaining to him about being worried I was going to have a hangover after a weekend in Dublin for Paddy's Day, and he basically told me to grow up. Right. Um, It sounds like Michael Brown... We like each other more than Michael Brown likes us. Okay. So we should be fine. I like Michael Brown. We should be fine. No, I have been very grateful for a lot of very nice messages since uh, that appearance on EFL on Quest. I was on the League One, League Two segment. I did my first ever Saturday night highlight show bit of punditry was a game that finished 5-4. And my second ever bit of Saturday Night Highlight Show punditry was about an ongoing police investigation involving Joey Barton and Daniel Stendhal. Which we probably shouldn't mention too much today. Which we will, we will mention, but we'll only mention the facts at this stage. The facts. We okay. do not wish to uh, <laughs> inhibit any current investigation by South Yorkshire Police. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. And um, also, and so probably just worth saying as well then, that if you're someone who maybe has EFL on Quest on Series Link, but quite often they go recorded but not viewed... This could be one to view, so you can see uh, Ali doing his thing. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we will get another chance, um, whether it's me or you or... Well, that's it, isn't it? It's just me or you. Um, Hopefully, as long as I haven't done too much wrong, uh, I'm very hopeful that we'll get another chance at some point and um, hopefully another point this season. So stay tuned to that. We also saw each other this morning over at Sky Sports... We were thrilled to be invited on Sky Sports News for the second time after our uh, three or four hour stint on deadline day. Just two minutes and 45 seconds this time, but we, was that it? we packed a lot in. <laughs> we packed a lot in. And, and we must say that Mike Wedderburn is an absolute gent. Complete class act. And um, I was just really devastated when I left that I tried to follow him on Twitter. But like the true legend he is, the ex-rugby professional, the ex-cricketer, no Twitter um, so that was a bit of a shame. But Mike, you said you were going to listen. So if you are, um, we both really liked you. Welcome, Mike. Thank you so much uh, for guiding us through this morning. We really appreciated that. Now, I'm a little thrown because I haven't been able to do my normal uh, entrance. George took that out of my hands. So let's get straight into what happened on the weekend in the EFL. Uh, we're going to start at the top of the championship. It would seem ridiculous at this stage of the season to start mixing things up. Um, George... Since we last spoke, we've had two game weeks in the Championship, haven't we? So we, we sort of have to review both of them uh, and probably in a more general sense, otherwise we could be here all day talking about individual games. What cannot be argued is that in the top three in the Championship, it was an exceptional week for Leeds United. Yeah, it really was. Um, and we've kind of said consistently that this is a, you know, a promotion race that's going to have a lot of twists and turns and you wonder now if possibly it's had the final twist. Uh, Leeds, I think, are going to be massively helped. To use a horse racing analogy, right? Mm-hmm. If a horse is very, very far clear of everyone else, sometimes it can idle, it can get lonely out in front. And I think the fact that Norwich are now within Leeds' view is going to be a massive positive for them going forward for the, rest of, for the rest of the season. For Leeds or for Norwich? For Leeds. Okay. Because not only do Leeds... I mean, previously, Leeds were purely fending off Sheffield United. And it felt like whichever of them and Sheffield United um, got into second spot, they idled a bit. They got a bit lonely out in front of, of the other one and, and dropped points. Whereas now, Leeds fans not only are looking um, over their shoulders at Sheffield United, but they're thinking that they can win this league. And so to have that aspiration and to have Norwich that they can chase down is going to be really important. And, and, you know, it comes off the back. I wasn't particularly impressed with them on Tuesday night. 
uh, against Preston. Um, until the sending off, they created very little um, in, the, in the means of good chances. They had a lot of shots from distance. Um, but it was a different story at Ellen Road uh, on Saturday afternoon on, on the live game on, on Sky. Um, I'd backed Sheffield Wednesday to win it and, you know, anything, they're a massive prize, but anything I had was, was proven wrong. Leeds were totally dominant and except for a late Matthias chance, Sheffield Wednesday were completely uh, hamstrung, which is impressive given the form they've been in under Steve Bruce. So um, a huge, huge week for Leeds. And, and I, as I say, I think Norwich falling away is just given this promotion race a little bit of a different look. Leeds very impressive against Sheffield Wednesday. Certainly no surprise to see Pablo Hernandez uh, setting up the goal. Maybe more of a surprise to see Jack Harrison scoring Lovely it. Finish. I think, uh, you know, Leeds, if you were to zoom back and, and think back to August um, and we were to uh, consider that Leeds would now be on 82 points uh, after this amount of games uh, and such a successful season, really whatever happens, but it is looking good. Of course, we've spoken so much about Marcelo Bielsa and how... It's his system, it's his coaching, it's his philosophies, for want of a better word, that have ultimately built Leeds into this team. Because as we know, this was not a, a, a squad that was overhauled in the summer. He's not a man that's particularly interested in um, coming into a club and making a load of changes in terms of recruitment and personnel. Uh, and, and yet, they have at times, when things haven't been going well this season... Maybe because of that, it's been easy both for Leeds fans and maybe for us to point at a few individuals in the starting eleven and to say, I'm not sure they are quite up to the standard of some of Leeds' key players. And if I'm honest, Jack Harrison has been one of those for me. The amount of minutes that he's played, the amount of times Leeds are on TV, and these are games that we do watch a lot of, I have been underwhelmed by him. He came over with a big reputation from MLS, where he played for New York City. He's clearly got a very good left foot, got a strong and powerful shot. I've not seen enough of him in, in terms of, um, uh, of con contribution to build up play uh, and even in terms of final ball, in terms of finishing, to, to think that he is um, the sort of player that should be starting for a team gunning for automatic promotion to the championship. All that said, uh, he was the one that scored the goal on the weekend. And, and that, you know, that's... I guess Bielsa's faith in him and people like Tyler Roberts uh, and, and all the other things he's done, moving Alioski to left back and, mm. and all the crazy things that he's done, um, you end up saying, fair play. Yeah, and with Harrison, I think he is a player who leads to an extent have been really crying out for if he was better, if that makes sense. Um, if you think of someone, the impact that someone like Jack Clark made um, and, and you know the, the fact that Sami Saiz was, was effectively... Um, you know, not really part of their squad from, from kind of November onwards. I think if, if someone like Harrison um, performed to the level they expected, he'd have been a very integral member of the team. But it hasn't really happened for him. It was a great, great finish, um, you have to say, and, and a great ball from Pablo as well. And Tyler Roberts, who you mentioned there as well, I mean, he may be undergoing something of a scoring drought, but he really impressed me. He looked really, really lively in that number 10 role. He's a player that I've had my reservations about before, both this season and uh, in previous loan spells. Um, but maybe, you know that role just that withdrawn role that kind of more creative playing within playing between yeah, the lines I mean, you role, said it, 10 better. there I mean, he's almost in that 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one. he's yeah. almost him and Click are sort of eight and a yeah, half yeah I guess so yeah I mean, <laughs> which that, you wouldn't exactly right. if you knew Tyler Roberts before this season it, there'd uh, be no question that he would no, play that role no no absolutely not and, and it, again it comes down to the way that this Leeds team are coached it's it's system and training over personal talent that trumps and you know Tyler Roberts is really impressing in a role he's showing qualities to his game that we didn't know existed so even if he does end up being a striker or being a number 10 a genuine number 10 um, he's showing qualities now that are only going to set him in really good stead going forward and surely he'll be better for it as a player going forward even one season under Bielsa um, uh, you mentioned now this this might be the time we look back and said this is kind of the end of of the Leeds Sheffield United back and forth um, Sheffield United in the last week they drew with both Birmingham away and Millwall at home of course conceding that late equaliser but not in a way that made you, th you know, they clearly didn't dominate that game. I think even ardent Sheffield United fans would accept that while there was a, a, a foul potentially in the build-up, uh, it's not something that we, <laughs> you know, that, that, that even so on the balance of play, on the chances created, Mill will deserve that point. How much do you think Sheffield United's results have slipped over the last few weeks from, you know, second equal with Leeds do, do you hold much hope for them to, to catch them up now I, I do hold out hope for them um, I mean it sounds weird because I've just said that Leeds um, could 
you know, could go further and, and even get first spot. But I, I do think that Leeds' fixture list is difficult. They've got to play Villa and they've got to go to Brentford, which is obviously a very, very tough game. So, I mean, they're still very much in it. They're only like a five to two shot, which shows it's by no means gone. I think people are overreacting again to a couple of bad results. I mean, they were seconds away um, from, from beating uh, from beating Millwall, um, even with the 10 men they had. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard to rule them out. Uh, Chris Wilder, again, is, is the manager that you want in your corner in this situation. There's no doubt about that. So, um, yeah, I'm not ruling them out. It's going to be a tough ask from here, but... but yeah, I mean, it's Chris Wilder, isn't it? From league leaders Norwich's point of view, a team we've spoken about a lot over the last uh, six months or so, um, the sensationalist headline is, this is the worst week they've had in 2019. Uh, and, and the slightly more measured and, and probably more accurate take is, uh, they've drawn two games, uh, a home to Reading, where they fought back admirably, probably weren't at their best, sh- should have won the game. Rinomoto with an amazing goal from the edge of the box with his weaker foot into the far corner to make that 2-2. And then again, a game against Wigan, not at their best, uh, but not losing. Uh, and Pookie scoring the most Pookie goal of all time to get the draw there. They are uh, four points ahead of Leeds uh, and seven points ahead of Sheffield United. I think without needing to go into it too much further, we're both saying that, uh, that Norwich is still in a, a, a very, very good position. You spoke about it this morning on Sky Sports News with our new best friend, Mike Wedderburn. Let's move on to the, <laughs> the playoff picture in the Championship, George, because um, uh, there was a point quite quickly after Jack Grealish, Grealish returned from injury where you very quickly said, Jack Grealish is the best player in world football. Sorry, Jack Grealish <laughs> is the best player in the Championship by miles and Aston Villa should, can, will make the playoffs, should, can, will win the playoffs. They've now won eight games in the row for the first time since 1975. And this week, the, probably the most impressive of the weeks, winning at Rotherham with 10 men. We know that's not an, an easy place to win. Grealish sparkling. And then with him ill on Saturday, beating Bristol City, eight wins in a row. How bullish are you feeling about that Aston Villa promotion pick right now? Yeah, pretty bullish. Uh, obviously having the... The experience of last season of going to Wembley and coming unstuck is going to be a huge help for them if and when they do get into the playoffs as well. So you have to feel positive. Um, a little bit of a concern is that John McGinn, who I think probably ranks second or third in terms of the most important player uh, for Aston Villa at the moment, is on 13 bookings. If he gets two more before the end of the season, then he will be out for the whole of the playoff campaign, which would be absolutely shocking. Um, well, hold on. If he gets booked in... If he gets a suspension, it'll be three games. Yeah. So if he gets booked on... the f- if he starts that suspension of after course. the 46th yeah, yeah, yeah. game, yeah. he'll be out for the playoffs. Yes, exactly. If he gets two in the next two, he'd only... Either way, it's within their interest almost to shut him down for a month. Or just get, get a couple of quick ones now. Yeah. <laughs> miss, the first, miss the first semi. Yeah. Um, a risky one, that. <laughs> but it, it's, just, it's impressive. You know, they had 25 shots against Bristol City um, in a Grealish-less team. And, and I think what we saw in that period where, where, where Jack was out was a lack of creativity. And, and you're looking at a midfield three here of, of Whelan, Hurahane and McGinn, which doesn't strike you as being particularly creative, I must say. Um, Hurahane and, and, and McGinn were seemingly the biggest goal, threat, goal threats of the game with 11 shots between the two of them, which maybe suggests that there were uh, quite a few long, long-range efforts. Um, but it just it feels like they've clicked and it feels like Dean Smith has got them playing in the way that he wants to have them playing, which is what we thought happened when he first came into the club, but that was followed by, by a very big blip. And, and I think for the, just the belief of the club... Um, given how pronounced their, their rises and falls have been this season with and without Grealish. I think a result like this and a performance like this um, without their talisman and captain is really, really important. And if, for whatever reason, um, no touch would, he'll be okay. But if something, if he keeps sustains an injury or, or whatever in the playoff campaign, they can look back and take real, real hope from this performance and this result that you know, even without him, they can get past one of the form teams in the league. Now, it's not nailed on but it's whatever is the level below that. That Aston Villa and West Bromwich Albion will play each other in the Championship Playoff semi-finals. West Brom, for example, are in fourth at the moment. They're six points behind Sheffield United. It seems very improbable that they would go up to third. Um, Of course, Aston Villa in fourth. They are four points ahead of Bristol City, who do have uh, a game in hand, Bristol City, and that game in hand is away to Millwall, so by no means a banker. Aston Villa, with eight wins in a row, the form team in the division, looking pretty good, I think it's fair to say, for fifth, even if they were to overtake West Brom in fourth. They would still play each other. Now, that is a tantalising game in its own right. Um, But West Brom had a very West Brom week, didn't they? I mean, they... 
They were 3-0 down to Bristol City at Ashton Gate in midweek in, in, in a matter of probably 20 or 30 minutes. And they brought it back to 3-2, um, a scoreline that really sort of got them out of jail to an extent. It made it look a lot better than 3-0. But I don't think any West Brom fan who watched that game or anyone who saw it on Sky Sports uh, had the feeling that they were anything other than, than, than fairly woeful. Of course, then they played Preston um, under the cloud of... Preston's manager Alex Neal being linked with the West Brom job and not just linked but very strongly linked and reported that he was going to take the job uh, and West Brom beat Preston 4-1 uh, and, and as we know when Preston well, sorry when West Brom win uh, Dwight Gale and Jay Rodriguez tend to be at the heart of it and that was very much the case on Saturday Dwight Gale with a hat-trick Jay Rodriguez with the one goal but very much playing in tandem it, it's amazing that there's a team in this league who have two scorers on 21 goals who are not in the automatic promotion places. But such is the strangeness, the oddity of this West Brom season, um, that that is the case. And they look like they'll head into the playoffs very much in fourth place. Um, what else in the, in the playoff battle? I mean, Bristol City, we've touched on uh, kind of there, haven't we? They, they beat West Brom, they lost to Villa. Um, nothing ventured, nothing gained is a phrase that always springs to mind. I never know if it actually makes much sense. But just in terms of Alex <laughs> Neal, yeah. that was even as neutrals and even with Preston kind of falling away from the playoffs and now eight points off, their, their, their season's done. I certainly had a bit of a fist pump when I saw Alex Neal sign a new contract with Preston. It just seemed like... It's because we... It's because we... We like Preston, I think. But it seemed, and we like Alex Neal, and we, but yeah. it just seemed like a nice thing. Like it, it, The obvious thing was he would get tempted away by the, the riches, if they are riches, of West Brom, the higher expectations, certainly. Uh, and he's taken Preston so far. I guess we're, we're happy to see him continue that quest. Exactly. And I think it's just, I think any neutrals like to see it because it's just a young manager showing some loyalty to a club who showed a bit of faith in him. Um, he's building a very, very young squad built of kind of League One and League Two grads, which we like as well. So it's only natural that people who uh, who follow the leagues would would want Alex Neal and, and Preston to be a story with a happy ending. Uh, it leaves West Brom in a a bizarre position now because they've got James Shan um, as manager at the moment. With it, through his six games, they've had some fantastic results and some very very poor results and performances. Um, they're going to embark on on four games that probably eclipse any matches they've played. At, barring the, you know, because they were effectively relegated so early last season, they're their biggest games since they last got promoted. What, the next four? No, the four games that they're going to have in the, sorry, the three the games three they're going to have in the playoffs. Okay. Um, here with me thinking it's a two-legged final. Um, <laughs> that'd be fun. Uh, so, it, it, so where do they go from here? Do they stick with the guys in charge at the moment or do they, you know, they obviously didn't get their man in Neil, but do they bring in an outsider now and, and try and get that reaction? It, it seems pretty obvious to me that the Allardyce rumours that first came out were, were pretty much built on nothing. Um, I saw one bookmaker today cutting uh, cutting Gary Monk from 33s to 18s, which would be absolutely hilarious ahead of uh, ahead of that that semi final. But we can pretty pretty assured that's not going to happen. The likes of Jukanovic and, and Wagner are they going to commit to this job now at this stage, given the options they might have in the summer? Possibly not. So. It's it's not not ideal for them, and, and you know, you and I, especially I, was very vocal in my support of the, of the decision they made around the Darren Moore sacking. Um, but, what, but what I will say is, we for, gave for, too much credit for the board, didn't we? Well, no, for footballing reasons, I, I stand by that. But with absolutely no contingency plan, with no idea who, of who they're going to replace him with, with not even seemingly like an idea of who they could attract, um, it you know, it it, it was madness but not for the reason the people who said it was madness said it was for. We thought there was method to the madness. Clearly that's been proven not to be the case, in which case perhaps it was just madness. Last question on the playoff places, because Derby had a very disappointing defeat to Blackburn and then a very big win against Bolton. Uh, their game in hand, Derby, is away at Swansea on the 1st of May. So the fact that they are two points behind Bristol City um, and they've played the same amount of games, they've got a game in hand over almost every other team. That will not be an easy game. Swansea, we know, to be a very good home team at the moment. So let me ask you about Middlesbrough just quickly. Uh, they beat Bolton 2-0 in midweek with Ashley Fletcher at the double. They beat Hull 1-0 on the weekend. Uh, and that was one of those games where... If it had been a draw, it would have been rubbish because both teams' playoff hopes would have died. Uh, you kind of needed one of them to win either way. Uh, it was Middlesbrough who got the win. So I think the only team up other than Leeds 
that got six points uh, in the last week. Does that excite you? Does that give you any hope that, uh, that Middlesbrough might be a very unpopular addition to the playoffs? Very hard to be excited. Um, I mean, they, they, they very well could be. I've, I mean, I was surprised to see them go on the run that saw them drop out of it. Um, but it's hard to really think they have enough quality about them. I think we can all be very disappointed, uh, except for Middlesbrough fans, and nothing personal to them. But if, if this season ends, you know, with the, the football we've seen from both Leeds and Sheffield United, whichever one of those drops in, what we've seen from Aston Villa in recent years as well, um, sorry, recent years, recent, recent, recent months, um, Bristol City as well, such a young squad with a young manager. I think if, if Middlesbrough um, end up winning at Wembley, um, I think there can be a, a pretty collective groan amongst us neutrals watching on. But, uh, but you know, it, it will be deserved. Um, Britta Sombolonga is a player who seems to be coming to form at the right time. was very unlucky not to get a second goal um, on Saturday with a really nice kind of swivel in the box and a shot which would have been um, very nice indeed. And, and a good, good to see him not scoring a goal that's just a ball over the top, which he's scampering onto as well. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not, as you can tell, I'm not particularly enamoured by this Middlesbrough team, but, uh, but a massive week for them, no less. But the funny thing is, as you know, I'm probably more careful about hurting people's feelings than you are for, for better or probably for worse <laughs> in terms of, uh, of giving opinions on a podcast. But I felt quite comfortable about calling Middlesbrough uh, an unpopular addition to the playoffs because I'm, conf- I'm confident that that's the case from a neutral's point of view. I'm also confident that actually there are plenty of Middlesbrough fans out there who um, might remember last year's uh, appearance in the playoffs and might be um, just quite hoping for a, a change over the summer and might be thinking, well, if we did get into the playoffs, would we either stink them out like last year uh, and basically lose 1-0 seemingly quite happily or would we somehow win them and then move up to the Premier League with Tony Pulis as our manager? Um, these are all interesting questions from a Middlesbrough fan point of view. Down at the bottom of the championship, uh, we saw our first team relegated from uh, any EFL division at this stage of Zipswich Town. And we were asked about them on Sky Sports News earlier. And because we talk about this stuff so often, twice weekly, in fact, throughout the season, if you hadn't noticed, is actually, it can be sometimes interesting just to take a step back and, and be asked by someone like Michael Wedderburn on Sky Sports News at 9.30 on a Monday just morning. Michael? Mike. Okay, good. I thought you gave him, just, just full named him. He said I could call him Mike. Well, um, <laughs> he says that most should call him Michael and he's quite an intimidating man. So uh, a former rugby player, of Gosh, course. That. Anyway, no, a very friendly man, but, a, but a, large, a large man. And then that's what his previous career was as a rugby player. A very effective one, I should imagine. Not, not a rugby fan myself. Wow. Shall I move on? I, um, I'm talking about Ipswich, aren't I? Yeah. And what I was saying is it can be hard to consider this Ipswich team in one go almost as they wanted us to they said what's gone wrong for Ipswich this season because we've spoken so much about them and there's been various different stages of their season it can be you have to sort of remember from a new you know from a non I think about this stuff every week type of point of view what has gone wrong for Ipswich this season and you have to go all the way back to August which feels like ages away and you have to put aside, you know, your bias or, or your opinions and just say the, the two things that... We don't have any bias. We do have some opinions. Well, though. no, you, you have bias to your own opinion. So you, oh. so you and I... Who, who it's said, like inception. Well, like we said that Paul Hurst would be a good appointment. I, I think that in other circumstances it could have been, but it wasn't. And it didn't work out that way. So when you boil it down, what went wrong for Ipswich this season? Sacking Mick McCarthy and bringing in Paul Hurst. That's... Sadly, what went wrong because the recruitment from Hurst wasn't good enough. Um, he was naive not to bring in more experience until very late on in the window and it's probably too late and they're probably scraping the barrel. Injuries to key players didn't help at all. Um, you know, John Walters probably being the one who, who really they missed um, up front given the goals they lost in the summer which they failed to replace. Um, the likes of, of John Nolan and Toto Nsiala who came into an immediately struggling team and had no time to find their feet in a new league and show their quality. Although, I mean, it's fair to say that Nolan has finally begun to do so in, in the last couple of months and he'll be a very strong player for the next season. So a lot went wrong and a lot went wrong that we thought was hopefully going to go right. And um, the one positive, I guess, being that a lot of Ipswich fans who wanted McCarthy out will still say that they, that they you know, were right to want that and that the club needed to get away from, from the way that he ran things on the pitch and uh, in, in Paul Lambert despite an initial obvious protests uh, because of his background and because of his Norwich 
uh, history, they've, they've got a manager now who they seem to have an affinity with, at least on a personal level, um, and who looks like he's going to be staying at the club to try and lead them back into the championship. Yeah, I mean, it's been a head-scratching time under Paul Lambert, hasn't it? Because the initial positivity, uh, and he did all the right things, uh, and I mustn't say that in a cynical sense, because there's a huge importance to um, making a connection with the fans and, 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 and literally getting them on your side. It, it's a hugely important thing to do. He certainly did that early on. Of course, the results on paper have not necessarily followed. In terms of picking up wins, uh, it's been really slim pickings. They've only won four games all season. And yet, that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story because not only have they been on this bizarre run where they've um, drawn eight of their last 12 games 1-1 against quite a lot of teams in the top half of the table as well, home and away uh, and, and whatnot. But we've also seen, and, and the game against Brentford in midweek was a classic example. So was the game against Hull that they lost basically every game. They have these spells, often early on, where they play well, where they genuinely match the opposition. Even if it's a, you know, a top half team in this division, they do not look out of place. They are not a team who are 24th in this league and turn up and get absolutely battered every week. That's just not what they are, not what they've been for two or three months. But what we have seen is this inexplicable situation where they, they create one really good chance, they miss it, and then they almost immediately concede a goal, only to completely crumble. Now, it, it's not rocket science to suggest that a, there's a lot of bad luck involved there. The game against Brentford was an unbelievable example. Through ball, Quana lifted it over the keeper. Really nice finish. Bounced off the inside of the post, cleared away. Brentford scored two minutes later. But there's got to be a psychological issue there. There's got to be something wrong with the makeup of the team. Which is why it's interesting to see that the, the, the chairman, Marcus Evans, who's copped a lot of flack, and I think fairly, um, he is an owner who has put a lot of his own money into the club but does not want to be a sugar daddy like a lot of, of, of owners of championship clubs. And frankly, I think that's a good thing. Genuinely, I do. And it's hard to justify that sometimes when things aren't going well. I think the way that he funds the club is acceptable. I don't think that the way they've used the funding is acceptable. Uh, and that means their recruitment over the last four or five years. Whether they are hamstrung to an extent, whether they are a lesser um, sized team in terms of budgets to... Uh, when you compare them to, to other teams in this division, that might be true. We have seen teams be very creative and very successful on similar budgets, though, and I think that's where they've gone wrong. Now, in the summer, um, as you you know, you know, mentioned Alex Neal, and, and he presides over a Preston team with a lot of players that they've signed from leagues below. We quite like that. That's what we liked about Ipswich in the summer, and it didn't work at all, um, especially in terms of the, the strikers, Caden Jackson and Ellis Harrison. They never found their, their, their level uh, at championship level, but it's interesting to know what will go on at League One because Marcus Evans has said we're going to stick with Paul Lambert. He's trying to spin some real positivity around this. And I think there's a possibility that in saying we are going to lean on a core of experienced players, Bielkowski, Chambers, Scoos, uh, Alan Judge, who they've signed up, of course, and really lean on our exceptional youth academy products, the likes of Dozell, the likes of Teddy Bishop, uh, Flynn Downs and Jack Lancaster, there's a utopia where this works really well and next season they start winning games in League One. There's no reason why they shouldn't be competing at the top of League One. There's a utopia where they are doing that winning football matches, playing attacking football, which is what they're trying already, with a core of young players in the team and Ipswich fans might remember what it's like to enjoy following their team. That's what we're hoping for for Ipswich. Um, and there's still a lot of time to come before they even kick off their League One campaign. But that's what we're hoping for. And, and, and um, we will be keeping our beady eyes on it. In terms of, uh, of the other relegation candidates, Bolton look as good as gone and they've had a, a miserable week on and off the pitch, of course. Um, much more doom and gloom hang hanging over that club than mere relegation prospects um, but certainly look like they will be in League One at the very least next season but it, it kind of felt like a positive week for Rotherham didn't it George despite the fact they only picked up one point from two games they lost at home to Villa a game where they played against 10 men for 45 minutes and, and ended up getting nothing but then fought back to draw two all at Stoke very positive week for them not as much as it was for, for Reading though Reading under Jose Gomsch you can't do that. In their last eight games, they've got the fifth most points in the league. So what do we say 
about the championship relegation battle right now? I mean, it suddenly feels like Reading's win has just brought it all very open again. Um, a massive, massive uh, result for, for Rotherham to come back from from 2-0 down. Very unlucky not to win it in the end. I think uh, Matt, if Matt Crooks had added to his, uh, his first call for the club with a second in, in you know, quick succession, his, uh, his status as a club legend would have been very, very quick indeed. But... Um, and interesting again to hear more stories about, you know, the emotional management of Paul Warren, where he, he made all the players write down, um, I think on the wall where he put the crest, who they were doing it for and started off as someone who they were going to dedicate this performance to, eking out every single iota of talent he has from his players by making it into such a personal and emotional challenge to go out on the pitch and perform. Um, and without that level, I mean, having spoken to Richard Wood about it, name drop clang of an EFL god <laughs> but having spoken to him about it when I met him up in Sheffield a few months ago and he just said how important it was he just said you know these guys who, who you don't know particularly well who are your teammates but you know beyond a bit of chat at the training ground you don't know much about them suddenly they become people that you're desperate to play for and using these tactics from Warren just seems to get results um, as I've said if they go down next season I really really hope that, uh, that they keep I mean I, I'm sure they'll want to keep him but it's whether or not he is, is still in, you know, engaged with the challenge and, and wants to go through another attempt to get them promoted because I think at the moment they're one of the most fascinating football teams out there um, and this result on the road where they haven't had many and given their last performance on the road was away at Derby where they were absolutely stuffed um, is a massive massive result for them if it's going to be enough uh, I, I don't know uh, the only good news for them now being of course that it's not just Reading um, who they are chasing down. Millwall and Wigan right in it. Uh, Wigan just the two points above them as a Millwall, although both have a better goal difference. So let's call it two and a half points. Um, but they still have a big, big chance. And, and, and as I say, you have to fancy them in their home games. Yeah, that, that motivational tactic, writing uh, who you're playing for uh, alongside the badge on the wall of the dressing room. We actually did a very similar thing at Quest on Saturday. Um, <laughs> I wrote down your name. Thanks, uh, ev- everything I do, George, I, I do it for you. Um, and that's a bit love, actually, isn't it? Uh, but, but what about Reading? I'm going to talk about Reading under Jose wrong, Gomes. Wrong film, mate. Robin, um, Robin Hood, I think that is. <laughs> Robin It is. Hood. Robin Hood, okay. um, Prince of Thieves, I think it is. Right, so that makes you my Maid Marion. Yeah, nice, okay, lovely. cool. Uh, Reading uh, have been on an astonishing form, as I said, the, the fifth most points in the last eight games uh, across the whole division, which, given that Millwall, Wigan and Rotherham are all picking up points of their own, uh, is even more impressive. Now, they seem to have found a way under Jose Gomsch. Uh, he started off... Um, playing an intense possession style, not the same as Yapstam, but not a million miles away. Uh, looking at the possession over the last few games, they seem to have found actually a, a way of getting the most out of their players, both those who, who can play with the ball and who like to do so, such as Lewis Baker in midfield, um, but also, and I think probably this is the key, finding a way to make the most out of the front three. Now, Mo Barrow, uh, has such electric pace and they found a way to to, to suck teams in and to uh, basically hit them on the counter-attack with his pace. Uh, Yaku Meite, who on his day is such a handful, both in the air but also in terms of his movement, his pace, uh, his finishing ability as well, uh, is, has been a fantastic player for them. And Nelson Oliveira is up there for January signing of the window. So Reading have got to feel so, so positive as they are uh, four points ahead of of Rotherham and and looking safety in the face at the moment, a a really good few weeks for them. Let's move on. Uh, Before we talk about League One and League Two, I'm just going to hit you, George, with a couple of stats. I just wanted to do a little stat attack type thing um, because I think I've discovered some quite interesting things and I think that you'll find them interesting and hopefully the listeners will too. Um, I'm going to pick and choose. Here's a good one. Eight players in the championship this season have scored 20 goals or more already. Last year, only two players scored two goals or more. Puts paid to the old chat where people say, like, you want a 20-goal-a-season striker? They don't exist. There are only two last season. Eight already. It's absolutely remarkable. Interestingly, in League One, there's only been one so far. That's Collins. Last year, there were only two. Uh, And in League Two, we've had three players hit 20 goals so far. Last year, there were six. Obviously, four games to go, at least, uh, in those divisions. Shots. In each division, James Norwood has taken 37 shots more than anyone else in League Two. 
in League One. Sorry, the other day when I called him the most clinical striker in League Two. <laughs> yeah. Absolute nonsense. <laughs> well, there's a man in League One who's taken 31 shots more than anyone else. It's Sean McConville of Accrington. Really? Just absolute green light to go from anywhere. I, I think, I suspect, if Marcus Madison had played more games, he'd be well clear there. In the Championship, it's much more level. And Neil Mopé has taken the most shots in the Championship, but only three more than the next. And there's a big bunch of them. Uh, the most yellow cards in the EFL, you're probably thinking Ben Pearson. He is second on 14 with Jack Colback. Who knew that Scunthorpe's James Perch was so keen to pick up the yellows? I think I saw him get booked this season as well, (laughs) so I should have known that. You and about 100,000 other people at various uh, EFL games. Now, here's my favourite one, just uh, in terms of you. The most minutes played in the whole of the EFL, more than any goalkeeper, this is an outfield player who's played the most minutes. Y-Scout basically adds up all of injury time as well, all of everything. And he's got a couple more minutes what? than anyone else. It's Curtis yeah, Nelson. I, I, know, well, I know he's ever, ever present. So More than that, mate. Ever present and some. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's worth mentioning that on that note, he, um, the Oxford player of the season, fans player of the season poll was kind of came out today. And from what I'm seeing on social media, it's, it's a two-horse race between him and Josh Ruffles. So my negative comments on, about Nelson maybe not reflective in the in the fan base and good on him for doing that yeah a, a reflects on a good season well done when a uh, central midfield player playing at left back is uh, going for your player <laughs> of the season anyway i thought that was interesting most passes made in each division we got matt grimes of swansea alex mowat of barnsley and reese brown of forest green in league two now i like this one most smart passes this is a y scout metric that um, Jay from Blades Analytic has cleared up for me. This is a pass intended to be creative with attacking intent, such as breaking lines. This is normally a pass between two or more opposition players. And it all lines up quite well because the best in the championship, Pablo Hernandez. The best in League One is Tom Bayliss, um, yes. which, which bodes very well. And the best in League Two is, uh, is Reese Brown. So... Interestingly, certainly in the sen- in the in terms of Bayliss and Brown, Reesley Brown coming across <laughs> very well here. Yeah, and these are guys who, in terms of a football index, which we've spoken about a few times over the last few months, these are guys on the platform who, you know, the whole point of us starting with football index and talking about it was to pick out the players in the EFL we thought could go higher. Uh, none of this is putting us off, is it? And especially the interesting thing with Bayliss. I mean, a lot of um, you know, for those of you who haven't yet signed up to Football Index, uh, a lot of the players that we've spoken about have gone up quite a lot. I mean, Che Adams and Saeed Benrahma being two that have absolutely flown. Um, my, I, I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to say my portfolio is up about 43%. So it's a decent return on investment um, by getting these guys cheap when they first come out. But Bayliss is one who's barely moved, to be honest, um, since we first bought him, or since I first bought him. I think he's up one or two percent. Um, so if you're, you know, if you haven't been uh, swayed yet, if you go and have a look, check it out. Um, we do have the offer code NTT20. Um, so if you use that, you'll get, uh, if you donate, sorry, donate, you're not donating. If you deposit 20 quid, you'll have another 20 quid matched as well. Um, so, and it's, yeah, it's a cracking way to, to have some fun and to hopefully make a bit of cash and, and invest in these guys that we're flagging up early. And as ever, if you've got any players at your club who are probably younger than I'd say about 21, 22, you want to catch them early. Uh, who you think could go on to play at the top level, then do just tweet us and let us know and we'll speak to the guys there and try and get them put up on the platform. Yeah, any further questions, tweet us at NTT20pod. Of course, uh, this does involve depositing uh, at least £20 of your own money. So make sure, please, that you um, read all about Football Index, make sure you understand uh, how it works. And as I said, tweet us with any questions. We'll be happy to help. My last word on this, not to turn everything into a competition. Um, 51.22% my portfolio, mostly thanks to Saeed Benrahma uh, and our, our favourite EFL player, James Justin, who we became such good friends with at the EFL. He hasn't called me. Awards. He or, hasn't or, called or me either. To any of my texts. Strange. Very, very strange. I literally strange. send him like a text every day and he hasn't replied to any of them. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Well, it leads us quite nicely into the fact that in League One, James Justin and Luton Town, um, 28 games unbeaten. That's the limit, I'm afraid. It's a club record. I'm pretty sure it it was a divisional record of some sort, although as I've said that, I'm now wondering if that's actually true. Someone let us know. Either way, 28 games unbeaten. It ended at the Valley. It ended at Charlton, George. They were 1-0 up at half-time, but Charlton won 3-1. At the very least, if you're going to lose your record, 
they've lost it to a team that is in some serious nick at the moment. Yeah, there's a really nice backhanded compliment from Charlton manager Lee Boyer after the game where he said, I couldn't understand why Luton were unbeaten in so long. Now I do, having just beaten them 3-1. Um, so what does that mean? I, you told I that think, to me earlier and I, I think it's just out. him just massively blowing his own trumpet and showing a little bit of condescending respect afterwards, which I love. Fair play. Um, I mean, Lyle Taylor really is something else at this level. Um, he is proving himself to be just the complete striker. Uh, you can't fault his goal-scoring uh, ability, his finishing ability, and just his all-round play is, is absolutely superb. I'm, I'm going to be fascinating to see where he ends up next season if Charlton don't get promoted because he has the abilities to go really, really far. And he doesn't have that the youth um, as much on his side as others, so I'm sure he'll want to make a pretty rapid rise up the leagues. And Charlton fans will be desperate that they can uh, turn this good form into a promotion so they can try and keep hold of him. But, I mean, Charlton have been um, kind of low-key, one of the best, you know, arguably the best team in the league in the last few weeks, conceding very, very few goals. And I think this game against Luton came at the perfect time for them to really prove themselves, uh, to give themselves a big confidence boost before what we think will be the playoffs. There's obviously an outside chance that they could get promoted automatically. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but no one to fear now um, at home to, to Charlton. I remember when I went to the Valley a few months back to watch Oxford draw one all with them and looking at social media afterwards, there were a lot of fans concerned uh, that Lee Bowyer and maybe didn't quite have the tactical nous in-game to affect games. We're seeing the opposite now. I mean, they are fantastic at turning drawing positions into winning ones and losing positions and coming back. So um, It's almost like tactics aren't easy. No, I know. So, but just a big doff of the cap to, to Boya and, and let's not um, forget our friend, assistant manager and all-round legend, Johnny Jackson. Such a handsome man. He really has it all, uh, Johnny, doesn't he? It's, a, it's, it's quite disgusting, to be honest. What a, what a left foot he had in, in his career good as well. dinner party, me, you, Johnny and Mike. Mike. Wedderburn, obviously. Mike Wedderburn, yeah. right. I thought you were going to say me, you, uh, JJ and Lee Bowyer, which I think would be fairly lively as well, to be honest. <laughs> um, just, just going on uh, from what you've said about Charlton. They're very strong in the second half at the moment. This was on show uh, on Saturday. 1-0 down to Charlton in the first half. And as we've seen uh, a lot of games this season with the four diamond two, very much the in vogue formation at the moment uh, across the EFL, teams trying to work out how they can replicate Luton. Charlton's own diamond is getting to a point where it's not much worse. In fact, maybe not at all, as we saw on the weekend as Luton's and that midfield four is sensational you've got Johnny Williams at the top of it who is fit and that's the first thing you have to say about Johnny Williams because the rest comes fairly easily and anyone who's ever watched him play and certainly anyone who's ever worked with him within clubs has always said that Johnny Williams is about as talented a a player as you get Johnny Esther they used to call him at Crystal Palace and it's so good to see him playing um, and hopefully he can stay fit throughout the rest of the season. Um, Cullen, we know, uh, is someone at this level who's very, very comfortable, part of that Bradford playoff final team uh, two seasons ago. I'm very happy now shuttling on the right side of the diamond. Joe Aribo, arguably the most mobile, the most exciting of all of them in terms of future career, just he seems to be able to do a bit of everything, Aribo, and he's so mobile, he's so lively, he's, he, he's just everywhere. But it's got to be Christian Bielik that you talk about. And sorry for those who watched the Quest show, because I did mention him there. But uh, it's worth mentioning again that this is a guy who plays wearing number four on his back. He plays in front of the back four. He's a man that can slot in at centre-back if necessary, which is such a great skill. It means you can play three at the back formations or four at the back formations without having to make any substitutions, of course. And Bielik's comfortable wherever because he is dominant physically. Uh, He wins his duels, he wins his aerial battles, he wins tackles. Um, But in terms of his ball-carrying ability, being able to to dribble through the lines and to be able to pick out the right pass, which he seems to do with regularity, is so, so, so impressive. Uh, Unfortunately for us, he's an Arsenal loanee because they will have him back at the end of the season and and who knows what happened there. We hope that we might see him again in the Championship with whoever it is. Um, could be a good one for the index, maybe. Could be a very good one for the index. We'll have to see if he's on there. Anyway, let's move on. Charlton uh, on sensational form. That's all you can say. The form team in the division. It's one of those ones where even if they win all their games now, their last four games, it's probable that they wouldn't make automatics because Sunderland have had a poor week, but they are very much... It's in their hands, isn't it? Or is it in Portsmouth's hands? Whose hands is it in? Who's got the most hands? Both their hands. Both their hands. Why? The league is in their hands, collectively. 
um, because they play each other. So if either of them win all their games going into the end of the season, they will be promoted. Amazing. Um, so does that mean it's in both their hands or neither of their hands? I can't really work it out. I think one hand each, I think. Holding yeah, hands. It's, it's like the op- you know when you say they've got one foot in, in the championship, they've got one hand yeah. in the championship each. Great. Trapping uh, their fingers in the door. I think Portsmouth are, are the massive dark horses here. <sighs> here we go. Um, here we go. go I, I just... For how many months of, of the 10-month season? Nine? Probably They've nine. been the best team in the league, or eight and a half. One kind of super blip, um, we can say, where it was... Uber blip, yeah. It, had a, it was, a, you know, you can basically bracket it off and how bad it was. Um, and except for that, you know, they were, they were kind of five to four to win the league at, at Christmas. You know, they were so far clear at the top. And since that blip, and, and since they've managed to find a way to, to kind of shoehorn all their players into the same... Um, uh, system where we're now seeing Pittman and Hawkins starting together given that they couldn't even do that early on in the season when Bogle and Vaughan weren't even in the picture it's pretty unbelievable they're managing it now so and, and both Sunderland and Barnsley you have to say are, are vulnerable uh, we've seen both drop points recently in games that they should be expecting to win um, Sunderland continuing to, to just be unable to dominate games convincingly really um, except for the you know the strong away when we saw a couple of weeks ago, both games this week um, against good teams in Burton and Coventry, of course, but teams at, at home you'd expect them to dominate, really being unable to do so. Barnsley could get uh, dropping points, um, a massive win for them against Fleetwood, whereas it's Portsmouth who are going around their business just basically swatting everyone away pretty pretty comfortably. So if I had to to lead, I mean I was put slightly on the spot by the aforementioned Mike this morning on uh, on Sky Sports News and he asked me which I wasn't expecting who I thought would go up I said Barnsley in the kind of nine hours since I've, I've, I've revised uh, with a bit of time to think that doesn't make us look that believable does it mate if you're telling me that you're changing your opinion hourly not hourly like every Half nine daily. hours no just okay. I've had a bit of time to digest the weekend and have a look over it and, and do the hours of prep work uh, that, that I do for this podcast, unless any of my bosses are listening, in which case it's minutes. Um, uh, and, uh, and and I think Pompey are the ones that, that I think could just sneak in there. Very good. Well, Barnsley fans listening to this wondering why you've gone off them. Um, they are in second. They have 82 points. Sunderland and Portsmouth have 80 points, but they have played a game less. Of course, Sunderland and Portsmouth play each other. That is their game in hand. So it's a fascinating picture. Of course, Charlton, as I mentioned, the form team in the league on 79. So four teams within just three points at the moment. The playoff picture didn't change too much and it, and it probably won't do with it. I mean, Donny have won four in a row, really back in business after they went seven games without a win in, uh, in February and March. But they kind of need to be on their game and maybe it's a good thing for them because Peterborough have won three games in a row to nil. And what I wanted to know... Uh, George, is whether you think there's any chance that uh, Peterborough United, who are five points behind Doncaster, but with very much a game in hand, could potentially catch a Doncaster Rovers team managed by their former manager in Mr McCann. Uh, I tell you who does believe, Darren Ferguson. Textbook mind games from a Ferguson. He said, I'm loving it. I'm really relaxed. Listen, I know what it's like to be chasing a team. I know what it's like to be chased. And I know Doncaster's first thought would have been, how did Peterborough get on? And they'll be like, oh, they've won again. We ain't going away. What do you reckon? <laughs> and you can just hear his listen as well. Um, Bottled the, uh, the impression. There, I know. I? Yeah. Gutting. Next uh, time. Next time. He, he as a manager is in a perfect position. Come in with a kind of very few... Um, expectations as was shown by the fact he was given a full-term contract after doing very little um now they're on a good run of form which means that he's a hero if he gets them into the playoffs if they don't no bother we go next season worth pointing out that Doncaster um are also in fantastic form as well um having left behind their little run of bad form so I mean yeah as I say Ferguson's in a, in a fantastic spot where he is at the moment where it's it's either win or, or nothing I mean he's not going to get blamed for not getting them there um, and he's got the new contract anyway, so he'll be in charge at the beginning of August, no matter what. Um, and given both managers' histories with, with either team, there's certainly going to be some spice here, but, mm-hmm. but Doncaster are, are, are quite clearly the more likely to get there. Well, Burton uh, are just below the playoffs, and they're one of those teams for whom it might be that the season is a couple of uh, games too short because they're on great form at the moment. Uh, and they put away Scunthorpe 3-0 at Glanford Park on the weekend. Some really impressive uh, attacking play. And that front three of Boyce and Marcus Harness and Lucas Aikins, 
is, is, I think we mentioned them last time, it's something to keep an eye on. They, they're showing that they can all play basically uh, different roles, different positions in game, um, very flexible, and that's causing opposition defences quite a lot of issues, uh, which is a very encouraging for Burton going forward. And we cannot move on without mentioning Coventry 5, Sunderland 4. Pretty ridiculous, actually, that it's taken us this long to touch on it. Clearly the best game in League One this season. This was a, a Coventry side whose front four of Enabakare, of Luke Thomas, of Jordi Hurula and of Amadou Bakayoko probably have um, the biggest swing between the sublime and the ridiculous of any attack I can think of in League One, maybe in the whole of the EFL. These are all um, pacey and skillful mobile attacking players who can play different positions within a front four and all have uh, great qualities on their day, but who too often this season have flattered to deceive, whose final ball, whose end product has been poor, and who have left fans feeling a, a little bit disappointed because they know the potential of this team and they maybe haven't reached it. Well, against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light, uh, amidst a lot of bad news or, or, or potentially bad news off the pitch for Coventry, which we will go in in, in, in future weeks, this couldn't have been much better. Imagine seeing your team win 5-4 away at the Stadium of Light against a team who were in second place. Absolutely sensational stuff. And that front four I mentioned, so, so impressive in the first half. Just brilliant to watch. And again, maybe like Burton, uh, this is going to be a, a season that's a few games too short for them. Eight points behind Doncaster and they probably won't make the playoffs, but they need some credit. In the bottom half, George, just quickly, because... There's so much going on in the bottom half of League One, but again, there were only a few teams who, who you can consider to be real winners from the weekend. We have to say well done to Shrewsbury for essentially getting out of the relegation battle um, by beating in the last week Wickham at Southend and Gillingham on the weekend away from home. Tyrese Campbell scoring another goal in that one. Uh, and talking of goal scorers who get their teams out of relegation battles, Johnson Clark Harris FC, uh, who play in Bristol. They used to be known as the Bristol Rovers, the Pirates. Uh, they've got a new name now. He's got 11 goals in 11. I wanted to ask you who you are saying are safe in League One. Do you say Shrewsbury? Do you say maybe even Bristol Rovers? How about Gillingham and Accrington? I say Bristol Rovers are safe. So down to 14, which leaves us 10. Because yeah, and you're looking at the goal, goal difference as well. Shrews and, and Bristol Rovers, um, infinitely better goal difference. Basically, irreversibly better goal difference than everyone else below them. So um, with only four games to go, it's by no means beyond the realms of possibility that any team from Gillingham down could lose all four. And that means that you've got to be involved in the, in the relegation fight. Yeah, absolutely. There were huge games in and around the zone. Uh, Accrington versus Walsall, we previewed on the betting show. Southend versus Wickham, um, we should have done as well, probably, but, but we only picked one to preview. The reason these games are so important was because as much as it is tight down there, um, Accrington, Walsall, Southend and Wickham and Bradford were the five teams with the fewest points in 2019. So the teams who were really in dire straits, trending downwards uh, over the course of the last 15 games or so. So um, these were as much as six-pointer is a cliche that is used too often. These games really were important. So for Accrington to beat Walsall, who had just sacked Dean Keats and, and, and got O'Connor in to try and give them a little bounce, he went three at the back in this game. We wondered on the betting show if it would be 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. It, it renders any tactical chat stupid. I'm making an idiot out of myself because he went 3-5-2. Well, what I would say is if you're going to put three centre-backs on the pitch, the opposition centre-half scoring two goals and a 2-1 win um, seems not ideal at all. And you have to question um, whether that was the right decision. You have to question the character of the team who, who are letting that happen. But you have to say the same against Southend. Every fan who we know and who we have spoken to on Twitter that has played against Southend in the last 10 games or so has said the same thing. They are out of ideas, they have no confidence, they have no quality, and they cannot stop conceding goals. And I think it said a lot that Wickham, on their own terrible run, um, were able to beat them 2-0 in what was described as a professional win for Wickham, uh, something they haven't seen much recently. The last word on this, by the next time we talk, which will be next Tuesday, not Easter Monday, but Easter Tuesday. Hold on. 
We have a betting show. Okay, but the next time we talk on the Monday... Listen, it's great. Yeah, we do have a fantastic <laughs> betting show. By the next time we talk on the Monday pod, we think that Bradford will surely have been relegated, barring an absolute miracle. So let's talk League Two. And George, I want you to tell me why Lincoln have been promoted at this early stage of the season. The first EFL team to win promotion this season. Why have they done that? How have they done that? They are the first promoted team in yeah. the EFL. <laughs> and so any uh, times this season, over the last couple of months, I've said that I could see a little Lincoln slip up, absolutely no chance. Um, they haven't lost a game uh, in the league since Boxing Day. The only unbeaten team in 2019 across the three divisions. There you go. Um, they've kept, I think, six or seven clean sheets in that time. They are just so effective. Um, the Cowley brothers just continue to, to rise in everyone's estimations their career is going to be incredible to follow and Lincoln fans obviously desperate that it lasts at Central Bank for as long as possible because um, they are I mean, we've, we've said it so many times and you, you kind of run out of things to say about them they're functional they defend very very well they've managed to fashion an unbelievable amount of goal scoring chances given their um, you know they're not particularly the most expansive style of football that they play um, but every player knows their job so well and you know they're not going to be able to have the budgets of some teams in, in, in League One next season, but but I expect them to be competitive at the very least. I mean, depending on who goes up, I'm not. I'm genuinely not sure I agree. It's really difficult to have a, a clear steer on financial data and, and to know mm. season by season what budgets are and what budgets aren't. But they're certainly one of the top budgets in League One. Certainly in the... I think there's probably a group League of... One. Of League Two, I should say. Yeah. There's a group of four, um, we are led to believe, which is essentially Lincoln, uh, which is Berry, which is Mansfield, which is MK Dons, the current top four. Uh, and then, I, unfortunately, Notts County as well. Um, so certainly at the top end of League Two, which I think generally translates to at least mid-table in League One, because there are a lot of teams punching above their weight there. So it'll be interesting um, to see what they do with that budget, because, of course, they're... Their recruitment over the last year or two, you can't argue with it. The, the likes of Shackle, who have dropped down, Frecklington and Bostwick, who have dropped down to play for this team uh, and perform so well and so consistently. But also the players they've signed fr from non-league, notably Bruno Andrade. Um, so, so impressive. How do you think they'll get on uh, in League One this year? Of course, we're only in April. There's four months till the league even begins. Um, there's plenty of encouragement generally for League Two teams heading up to League One though, isn't there? Yeah, um, I, I think it's as simple as we have to be 95% sure that Danny Cowley will be their manager next season unless someone huge comes calling. And if that's the case, I can't see them finishing lower than 12th. Um, if for whatever reason the Cowley brothers do have their heads turned by, you know, the, the likes of a West Brom, I guess, could be the kind of, the kind of job that could in, entice them, then it's impossible to say. Um, but you'd expect the drop-off to be fairly severe. Yeah, absolutely. A, a sensational season and, and genuinely without wanting to get too sort of twee about it this is this is fairy tale stuff as much as you can get uh, in modern football and uh, uh, in the space of three years this Lincoln side have gone uh, from the National League at which point uh, two PE teachers the Cowley brothers who had previously managed Concord Rangers and Braintree in the National League uh, took their first full-time job in football management uh, in the first season Lincoln won promotion to the Football League after a few years of absence um, finally trying to fulfil their potential to to get back to their previous uh, glory, I suppose. And in the meantime, became a non-league team that reached the quarter-final of the FA Cup, knocking out uh, Burnley famously, of course. Uh, not only that, but in their first season in League Two, this Lincoln side reached the playoffs and were probably disappointed to lose in the playoff semi-finals, but also won the Checker Trade Trophy, another um, another example of how good they've been in knockout competitions. Um, for this season to have gone top of League Two, uh, essentially in September, I think, and to stay there the whole way um, in the face of a, a few contenders, uh, a few rivals, uh, and get over the line with ease before Easter, it is, as I said, as far as footballing terms go, uh, a, a fairy tale there. Their average attendance has gone from two and a half thousand in the season before the Cowleys took over to just under 9,000 now. So it, it's, it's not a stretch to say that they have uh, inspired a city and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And we can't bang on about it enough, but we must move on. Um, it's now four teams 
for two places. I think that's pretty inarguable, George, um, after a big result on the weekend, which was Tranmere, very much the Charlton of this division, very much the form team. They went and beat MK Dons, and it's now four into two, isn't it? It must be. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, um, and out of nowhere, from being the team that I thought were going to be the ones to, to challenge Lincoln for, for that top spot just two games ago, suddenly MK Dons are in fourth position. Um, massive, massive result for Berry. I mean, just in terms of like, <laughs> as a football club, um, to be in the position that they're in where the game looked like it may not even take place, where the f- whole future of the club is under scrutiny, where the players and staff aren't being paid, where the fans are completely unaware as to what's going on, where they've had to endure three defeats on the bounce, having been one of the best teams in the league. Um, to rally against that and win 2-0 um, was absolutely massive. And, and you have to be so happy for everyone at Bury. Um, and fingers crossed, you know, whether they get over the line here or not kind of pales in insignificance, really, when you're thinking about the future of the football club. And, and we have to assume that a promotion, whilst, you know, the, the increased revenue that comes around that, you have to assume a promotion can only be a good thing for them um, financially. So fingers crossed for everyone at Bury, and that's huge. I mean, Mansfield with, with another massive win. And then, then MK Dons and, and, and sorry, Mansfield with the, with the, they drew. the, the jaw. Yeah. Um, but, but a big result to put them into the third. And then MK and Chamir behind. It would take a very, very brave man now with four games to go, with those three, four teams separated by three points. Um, you have to think that MK Dons are the team struggling at the moment to, to get over the line. Well, I, I think MK Dons and Mansfield. I think that if you look over the last 12, 15 games or so, of course, Tramir have been on this amazing run. And you must be careful not to just say they're on the best run, therefore they will be the one that punched themselves in. They are in fifth at the moment, so they are at the back of the pack. Um, but the, the, for me, there's a, a consistency about their play, a consistency about their performances that lends me to think that compared to a Mansfield team who over the last eight games or so, you could point at three games at least where they have not played particularly well, which is a worry. You could certainly say the same about MK Dons. There's plenty to enjoy about their play, but there are too many games in the last 10 games or so where they have not played to their full potential. And maybe that's because they've been maintaining such high standards all season. Maybe that plays into Tramia's favour that they are making this late run. What I do know is that they've conceded five goals in their last 12 games, Tramia, which is going to take you a long way. They've got home games against Forest Green and Berry, and an away game against Lincoln on Easter Monday where they'll be hoping Lincoln will wrap up the title on Good Friday and, and go out on the piss and basically be hung over for that one. Um, they, could, they could put them away. They could put them away. So <clears throat> I, 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 I nailed my colours to the Tranmere mast on Quest on Saturday. Uh, so I'm going to stand by that. Good luck to the Super White Army. Forest Green looked like a nailed-on playoff team now, George, so we will focus on them in due course when we preview the playoffs. Uh, my question to you uh, is about Exeter. In fact, it, it's split into two. The first question is, have you seen a better goal in League Two this season than Hiram Boateng on the weekend? I don't think I've seen a better goal this season. In, in all of the in EFL? All, yeah. I always, wow. As I always say, unique goals are the best goals. Mm. Goals that you've never seen before. And that is definitely a goal I've never seen before. I don't understand how he manages to take that touch with, with his left foot and then be in a position to welly it the way he does with his left foot. And the finish is unbelievable. And the keeper has no chance. It is an incredible goal. Uh, if anyone listening would like to see some good goals from League Two this season, uh, there's a Twitter thread at NTT20pod. We spoke about it this afternoon. We asked for some contenders for Hiram's goal uh, and we got sent a few. There's plenty of good options in there. Nothing yet, I don't think, that rivals the great man Hiram. Uh, an absolutely sensational shout. My next question to you is, can anyone catch Exeter in that last playoff spot? It looks increasingly unlikely but there is this batch of teams by whom I mean Carlisle, Colchester, Swindon, Stevenage, Newport and Oldham who are kind of there and if one of them could maybe win out from here and somehow take 12 points from their last four games, it's not out of the question, is it? No, it's, it's not out of the question. I mean, but that is against, a tough ask. Against the odds, the, yeah. the, the team who could do it, and I can't quite believe I'm saying this, is Stevenage um, because they've got to play extra at home. Uh, on Easter Monday. Nice. So if, if if Stevenage win both their next two games, then there's no question. And one of the first of which is Port Vale away, which is one of the, you know, shouldn't be too too mm. tough for them to come through. If they come through the Easter weekend with six points, then they're going to be 
at worst, two points off Exeter. And if Exeter drop points in their first game, then they're going to be there. So, um, you know, they'd have to be the team you look at. Like it, like it. I was going to say Newport. Um, I'd, they always seem to go on these runs in the Cups. And sometimes at the end of seasons under Mike Flynn, we saw a miracle survival, of course, two seasons ago. Um, you do wonder if those cup runs do derail their league campaign slightly. But I guess if there's a team I think could sneak a few wins, uh, it's, it's them. The other notable thing is they have a game in hand, as do Oldham. Uh, and it's actually against each other at Newport. So Newport against Oldham, whoever does win that game, uh, will be in a, a decent position. And there has been a change at the bottom since we last spoke on a Monday pod. Uh, last midweek, Macclesfield beat Exeter. Uh, to move out of the relegation zone. So we have Notts County on 37, Yeovil on 37, Macclesfield on 39. Is that it? No. No? Of course not. Have I gone too far? Two points, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Macclesfield's fixtures are quite envious, enviable, I would say. (laughs) Uh, Away at Northampton, home to Newport, away at Port Vale, home to Cambridge. You and I seem to have a disagreement earlier today on what the word winnable meant, but I'm going to call all four of those games a winnable. Um, Notts County, much, much tougher um, with, with you know, hosting MK Dons and then by the time it's away at Swindon, it could be too late. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's looking like the great escape from Sol Campbell is going to come to fruition, um, but way too early to be calling time on a relegation fight with two points in it. Absolute scenes if Big Sol keeps Macclesfield up. Sensational stuff at the bottom of League Two. Um, re the word winnable. We're going to open this up to the listeners who have got this far. 66 and a half minutes of hot EFL chat and one big question to finish. I describe Charlton's games in League One as winnable. Uh, now, Charlton's games remaining are as follows Oxford away, Scunthorpe at home. Gillingham away and Rochdale at home. George seemed to take uh, some offence at the description of Oxford away as a winnable game. Uh, At no point did I say it was easy, um, but let us know what you think at NTT20pod. Is Oxford away winnable for Charlton? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to argue my case a little bit here. Okay. Well, I mean, of course it's a winnable game. I feel like winnable, you say, when you're kind of like... It, when you're the form team can, in the division and yeah, you're going away so, to Oxford. So the odds have them level pegging exactly, 13 to 8 the pair. Perfect. I think if you're not favourites, it can't be called winnable. And when, and when you're playing against a team who've lost one game at home in their last like 15, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing it out a little bit. I, I suppose, say. George, there's an argument that every single football match is winnable Ex- when exactly. you think about it. The very nature exactly. of our existence and the sport of football. Every game is winnable, Ali. Every game is winnable. <laughs>